Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hello, this is Lily, and we have the honor of having Dr. Lynn M. Lubecki with us today. She brings more than 20 years of early childhood education expertise and passion to Rochester Child First Network, also known as RCN, to continue its tradition of providing quality services to young children and their families. Lynn has hands-on experience with multiple aspects of services provided within its network, including in-home childcare and special education. She has worked in a variety of early childhood programs, including a position in Leeds, England. Lynn's diverse experiences uniquely equip her to administer RCN's high-quality programs through a multicultural lens. She was RCN's Director of Children's Programs for four years prior to becoming Executive Director. She provided program and practice leadership for her staff of childcare professionals. Throughout her tenure, she actively worked with an array of early childhood educators, parents, community leaders, and organizations dedicated to improving the quality and accessibility of early childhood education. Lynn holds a BA in Early Childhood Education, an MS in Inclusive Early Childhood Education, and finished her education doctorate in Executive Leadership in May 2015. She resides in the city of Rochester and has two children, John and Angela. Lynn credits her success to a loving family who understands the power of investing in the children. Okay, leaders, just a little plug before the interview. So Lynn and I actually met during a Pyramid Model Master Cadre training. We both, along with about 60 other leaders in education, became certified to do Pyramid Model training in New York. Now, the Pyramid Model is pretty exciting. It is an evidence-based framework that was developed at Vanderbilt University and has been proven to be effective at promoting social and emotional competence and addressing challenging behavior in little ones, infants to pre-K. What's also wonderful is that as this training is being implemented, we, the adults, grow too. So if you want more information on how to bring this amazing training to your organization, go to masterleadership.org. Welcome, Dr. Lynn Lubecki. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am certainly ready, Lily. Thank you for having me. Okay, great. So, Lynn, the first question is, what inspired you to choose educational leadership as a career path? Well, Lily, it's kind of a funny situation. I was on, um, as I 
graduated from high school, I went into Brighton Stratton, which is a business college back in the day. It was a place where you were trained to be a secretary or administrative support. And I was very good at it and I really enjoyed it. My track was starting to take hold into business. First, I was a support person and then I started moving into um, banking and financial reporting. And I started, to, I, I really like that. My family, you know, we're talking the suits and everything in the 80s. Ooh, yeah. And, um, I moved here to Rochester from Buffalo, New York, and I started to realize that, you know, when I had my first child, in order to afford quality childcare, I would have to make a lot more money. So what happened was I stayed home. I started taking on children, turned that into my career in the family child care provider. But the thing that inspired me to go into education was the miracle I experienced with my own kids and the 30 kids that had gone through my program over the years the miracles that happened over and over. And I thought, my gosh, you know, we don't look at children as we should. So it was uh, quite a powerful thing for me to watch the development of young children. And that's what inspired me, like, wow, I could influence this. So I was pretty excited about that. So you did that from your home? Yeah, yeah, I did it for 12 years. I also um, worked outside of the home in the evenings. But for the most part, as I was going to school, I was waiting tables at night. <laughs> and I was uh, I, I had children in, in my home. And so mm -hmm. the benefits of that were so great. I had my children raised within a community. We had um, a cooperative household. My two children now, you know, 27 and 20, almost 25, they're able to interact with children beautifully. So it, a lot of benefits came from that experience. It wasn't an easy transition going from working outside of the home to working inside the home. But I found that I was good at it and was so excited to watch these children develop. You know, every time a child started to talk or walk, it was just as if it never happened before. Or the, you know, all um, the milestones, right? Yeah, yeah, all the celebrating milestones. everything. And I had the benefit of going to college at the same time. Uh, my bachelor's degree, my, my undergrad, I was learning things and then would come back in an experiment. That's the classic theory to practice connection, right? So I thought, can a two-year-old really do this? And I would experiment. And sure enough, they were counting and sorting. Uh, so I, I, had, I had the great benefit of being uh, surrounded by master, master teachers and master leaders my whole entire life. So, so Lynn, what do you do now? So right now I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Rochester Child First Network, which is a network of services that in the community of Rochester, we serve children with special needs. We serve children who are typically developing. We have universal pre-kindergarten, expanded pre-kindergartens, after school and before school, your classic child care. And we also have a division that supports family child care providers in their home through the nutrition program, the CACFP program. So we we supervise and monitor the nutrition practices of family child care providers. Overall, we serve and touch about 2,500 children in our community every year. So how would you describe your leadership style? My leadership style tends to be in the in the avenue of like transitional or uh, servant servant leadership. I really differentiate my leadership. I work very hard to do that to meet individual the individuals that I uh, I work with. I really want to make a difference. I want to provide the highest level of support I can. You know, we each have to hold our own accountability. But my job is to get us the resources, remove all obstacles, and provide all the support I can possibly support to people so that they are free to do their jobs and do them well. That's my style and approach. I consider myself very approachable. My door is truly always open. I walk through the agency. I engage with people. 
I try to really get to know them as people. I think I also have a reputation of getting things done and also a reputation of holding people to their highest standards. So I have that com- combination. I'm a mission-based leader and I'm also a child-focused family focused leader. You have to focus on them. Any decision, how does it impact the child? Um, how does it impact the teachers? How does it impact our staff? So it's really focusing in on, on the, the people who do the service. Without the people that I lead, we have nothing. We have no mission. And we're in our 159th year of serving. So You mentioned servant leadership, and sometimes people would look at that and say, what? What does that mean? Right, but it's right. exactly... Um, what I connect with as well, because a leader is a serve, a good leader, yeah. a yeah. great leader serves others. Sure. Um, it's, it's emotional. It can be very emotional. It can be very draining, but it also can be as fulfilling. Very much how we work with young children. When you work with people who are doing their absolute best every day, when you see them smile or you see them change their perspective or even they change your perspective, it's the same experience I had when I was working with kids. You know, it's like these miracles happen and it's at the hands of our teachers. Mm -hmm. Now, Lynn, which quote or quotes about leadership speaks to you and why? Oh, it's kind of funny because I have a book, The Leadership Challenge, that I kind of live with. And there's five approaches that the author's encourage but one of them is just model the way model the way just do what you know do the right thing you encourage that trust by just modeling and so I try you know and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not perfect at it but I try to model the, the leadership I try to model the values that I believe in that's if you have that down everything else falls because you become the expectation that you have in others. Well, I had someone say the other day to me, um, you know, I've never met an executive director like you before. And I said, what, what do you mean? We were at an event and um, part of my job, obviously, is to raise a lot of money. And I have, I am great. I am so fortunate to have a team that helps me raise money, mm-hmm. but I have a part in that. And what happens is um, there was a need to sell raffle tickets, you know, and so I stepped right in and I automatically do the work. And I never thought of it as being something other than pitching in and doing what was needed at that moment. And afterwards, I got some feedback that said, I really appreciate that you did that. That's not common. And I have a look of perplexed, you know, you know, I'm just pardon me. But I I started to absorb that and reflect on that. And I thought, wow, maybe that's that's how I modeled in that moment. Just saying, okay, hands up, let's go. And isn't it sad that it's not common? I, you know, I, I can spend a lot of time there and I choose to uh, not. I think that um, it's common sense. It's a common sense approach. What makes sense right now? You know, I'm a visionary and I can think very far in the future. Um, you know, I always think that two to three years, five years, I can always, I can almost see what could happen, the potential. But it's very important to be present and look around. Do I catch every single thing that goes on? Absolutely not. I would, that's my, my, I strive to. But when I look around and see a gap, I know I can walk to fill it on. There's never a job too small or too big for me or anyone actually. So Lynn, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? (laughs) I can name a few. Right now, who's on my mind is Maya Angelou. Actually, I was talking about her poem the other day, Phenomenal Woman, That's Me. Mm -hmm. And I think she, along with, you know, your Susan B. Anthony's, there are people that take risks and they have had lives that push them to do something. So the women who started actually uh, my, the agency I work for when it was the Industrial School of Rochester, they saw begging and pilfering children on the streets. 
what they did was they responded to that need and said, this is not acceptable. And what can we do about it? So Maya Angelou, same kind of thing. She would, she, I had the great privilege before she passed of, of hearing her speak to us, speak to me and say, you know, um, we have to continue to work toward peace in a nonviolent way. And she, um, you know, in her book, I know why the bird, you know, the cage bird sings, you know, you know that she went through difficulties. And I think her voice and voices like her continue to make young women and people in general reflect on what could be and to keep working. As soon as we get complacent and we let things go, we we stop engaging in the voting process, for example, those kinds of things. As soon as we do that, we lose our power and our control. We can't complain anymore once if we're not participating in that change. Whatever that change is, it could be political, it could be very local, it could be a small act. We all can make a difference. It only takes one person, as we know in early childhood, correct? Mm-hmm. It only takes one person to make a difference in the life of a child. It certainly only takes one person to believe in an employee or to believe in a teacher or to believe in a neighbor or to just do a small act of kindness, it can make mean the world. So to be conscious of that, that's that's how I say leadership is. So that's why those little things are not beyond me or anyone else. You know, you have to kind of look around and hopefully pay attention and be conscious and be present. We can either complain, right, or be the change that we wish to see in the world, which exactly. is Gandhi's, one of my favorite that, quotes. You know what? That's exactly right. And I think people know that about my leadership and who I am. It's like, okay, if you're going to bring... bring me a problem or a concern. We have to make clear that if you just want to talk about it, that's one thing. Otherwise, one or both of us are going to do some work to make it better. (laughs) Um, One of the reflections I had recently, Lily, is that it's not always common. When I see a huge problem or I see something coming to me or something bad happens, whether it's with funding or someone leaves a position or whatever the problem is of the day because there's always problems. Mm-hmm. I accept that. Change is not an option. You have to change. But I also can look at a problem and say, okay, this is not good. <laughs> Where's the opportunity? How can we take this problem and make something good out of it? Where's the gap? And that is not always common. So I have a lot of work to do to communicate that so that other people can remain calm. And I, I understand what's going on because I just say, okay, what are we doing? You know, mm-hmm. We could stay in the upsetness or, you know, the uncomfortableness of this problem. Or we can say, all right, what are we doing? What are we going to do next? You know, you mentioned having a team. And tell me, um, what does it mean to have a good team? And how would you build one? Uh, having a team is just critical. I truly believe, and, and I think all of us should believe, we cannot operate in isolation. We're not even designed as human beings to operate in isolation. So whatever success I experience or I have experienced is due to a huge team of people throughout my entire life. The right person is in the right right place at the right time, that kind of a thing. And my job is to look for those opportunities for others, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure I can look at someone and say, wow, there's some potential or this person needs a little assistance. So my whole approach to life is that teaming it seems odd to me that it's an option oh shall we team or shall we not no you have to team so um the best way to build a team and and it's not an easy thing the first thing i have learned over my years is you must hire the right people with the right skills and the right attitude and the right fit that is critical 
from there, my approach is to be as honest and transparent as is humanly possible. And sometimes that leads to discomfort, but you have to be transparent in your practices in every single way. And the third critical piece to that, you know, stool, like if it's three legs, you also have to be available for support. And I think this is where it gets very um, tricky because support is holding people accountable is important. You must hold them accountable. When we hire you into a position of leadership, we expect you to be a leader and to complete the position and the job with quality, correct? The level of support is going to vary based on people's experience, based on their needs at the time, if they're a new employee, if they're an older employee, and that goes right down through the entire agency from my experience. You know, we have to ask the people, how can I support you? What do you need? What skills do you feel you're good at? What skills do you you feel that you need some honing? What can I do to help you? And then also be willing to engage in conversations that are sometimes very uncomfortable. I know that for myself, it's uncomfortable to say to someone, you know, I've noticed this and I'm concerned about it. Um, I recently had an experience that was probably one of the most profound and positive experiences I've ever had with an employee sitting down and saying, look, we are ha- we, we enjoy mutual respect with one another. How do we bridge some of these things we're experiencing the last couple of years? How do we bridge this? And the conversation was so open and so honest and so rewarding. It took risk on both of our sides, right? It took a major risk. And I thought I was being as direct and honest as I possibly could be. I learned a new strategy and and opened my heart. You become vulnerable in that moment. And that's not always comfortable. It's a little Um, scary, isn't it? It is a little scary. It was in this particular case, it was very scary. But you have to kind of sit in there and say, okay, this is worth it because the person in front of me is worth it. And it ended up being very effective. That could have gone one way or another. And both ways would have been acceptable. But at least we got a way to to bridge this little gap that we found within each other. It was wonderful. Which, you know, you never attain unless you really master that fear because fear will always come up, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think fear is that kind of unrest. It's more of an unrest. There's fear, but there's fear that's dangerous. And then there's fear that's like, oh, this is uncomfortable for me. That's always a sign of growth. You know, every time we go into the little darkness, whether it's a big darkness or a little one, you know, you go into the shadow side of life for a minute, you come out brighter, you have to, it's cycles. And that's, that's indicative of support, but also your own learning and growth. I will never stop learning. I I have a lot of work to do. Well, you know, this is a perfect time to ask you this question. Tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. Oh, I have many challenges, Lily. So I can uh, professionally and and personally, you know, I think some of my major challenges where I I really, truly believe in people and I believe in people's development of their own self. So one of my, my major challenges, I think, is to recognize my contribution and to be patient with process. So for an example, I stepped into the position that I'm currently in and I was promoted from within and that has its joys and its its challenges. And I have gone above and beyond trying to formulate ways to move the organization 
forward because the, the, the needs of today, you know, the challenges, and you know this, nonprofit agencies, we are challenged constantly. I, I think I'm designed for the role being that I'm, I expect things to happen every day. There's never going to be a time where we're like floating easy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One funding stream goes down, another funding stream goes down, or, you know, we have a switch in employment, like I had said before. Possibly we have um, regulations. There's a phone call. Something happens to a child. Something always happens. It's the nature of the beast. Not only bad things, but also good things, right? So you have to be ready to move. With our teaching pyramid, we, we talk about their social-emotional development right. approach. That takes a lot of time. So I think what it is is to be patient. I find it very challenging to be patient with myself when things don't go as exactly as I had hoped. And I have had to learn that I'm a little different from what I'm understanding. 90% of people don't look at a disaster and say, well, geez, what can we do now? <laughs> you know. Um, so I have to figure out ways to communicate my challenges and communicate my the reason I'm optimistic is not because I'm my head's in the clouds, but because I can see beyond. We have to deal with what we're seeing in front of us, but there's a little there's a little bright light here. Let's go after the light, and then this will all fall into place. Well, that's something that takes time. The other piece I've had to learn is I have this big personality, and believe it or not, in the last thirty years, it's calmed way down. However, <laughs> um, to most people, you know what, I, Lynn, I've experienced that. You walk into the room and you walk into a room, but it's a very positive thing on my. I mean, I see it as a very positive. It's like a light that walks into a room. Appreciate that, Lily. So what, what, I've, what I'm learning right now, and I'm actually working with someone to do this because to me, my intensity, or it's, it's, it's a passion, it's an energy, and I believe in what I do. I feel very fortunate that when you can work, your love, I, I found a profession and a, a, a place I fit. I find something that I can do. That's like a gift because I would be working somewhere else and doing this anyway. I know I would. And so for me, this works, but it's, about learning how to manage my own intensity, positive or not. And I, I, I wish there was a, I a degree in that if I could. I can't figure it out. But, you know, I, I hold my um, hands in front of my heart. It's a matter of managing that intensity. And the reason that I want to do this so bad is so that everyone in the room can feel as comfortable as someone with a personality like you. And you get you get me easier than some. Some people, when I walk in, they're passing out, and I don't know why. I'm like, well, they must be tired. Are they hungry? Do they need some spaghetti? What's going on? Quiet people and shy people, I, I am now convinced they run the world. But at one point, I thought they were sick. I'm like, are you okay, Ani? I didn't understand. And it's my job to just like we would differentiate an instruction, right, for, for a learner, we have to differentiate our approach for all people in our organization. And it's my life lesson, and I'm still learning, of how to recognize and also approach people who are different from me. And that's what it comes down to. And isn't that all of our job, right? It's I'm very good at including people, but to make sure that the message receives um, everyone the best I can. It's not a perfect science, of course. Now, Lynn, you mentioned you were working with someone. Do you have a coach? I do have a coach. Yes, I do. And do you think that's an important thing? I do. I really have enjoyed this process. It's not only a coach for my personal growth and development. My agency invested in this for for me. And I am pleased with her work with me. But it starts with me. The years of an executive director or a CEO running an organization, sitting out there and banging a 
hammer, whatever they used to do, is there that's over. I don't know if it ever worked, but it doesn't work today, right? And it's not even my personality. It takes a team. So there's a three-step um, coaching plan that we're doing. The first one is the organization is the client. My job and all of our job, I'm a servant, right? I'm there just to steward the resources to bring this agency into the next 159 years. Right, it's right. I'm a you know I'm temporary in the big picture, correct? So it's it's to look at the organization, to look at the executive director, and to help me not only grow myself but to help our team. You asked how do you formulate a team mm-hmm. with help mm-hmm. <laughs> to formulate and discover together. What team does this organization particularly need to move into the future, right? So what skills do we need to navigate uncertain funding? What skills do we need to to advocate for children and for rates so that we're not taking deficits in programs, which you know what I'm talking about. Um, You know, what skills do we need to support our our human capital? Uh, That word is kind of the new buzzword, but whatever. It's the people who actually do the service, do the work. How do we support them to our best ability? How do we implement professional development that actually sticks and works and works for the people, not for me? It's not about me. I'm not doing the practice anymore. They are. It's organizational development and it's also team development and it's also leader development, but it's from multiple areas, multiple perspectives so that we get the best possible um, results we can and support for this agency going into the next 200 years. So tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped you and the lives of those around you. Mm, Okay, so I think there's a couple of different successes. The first thing is I take great joy in raising my children. How many kids do you have? I have two. John is 27 and Angela will be 25 in a couple weeks. I have watched them grow from little tiny people into um, these these functional, wonderful, great character, hardworking, beautiful adults and their independence. And to me, that was a journey that I took great pride in, but I also... Um, was very particular about it in, at first and then learned to lighten up over time. They taught me more than I taught them ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I know that the way that I've parented my kids, I co-parented my kids, again, I had a, a village around these babies. Their whole life they had an entire village, and we raised them together. And when we did that, we ended up with a very good result. Well, that inspires other people. I hear people today, which surprises me, while wow, you're lucky your kids are this way. I can't understand what they mean. You're fortunate they want to spend time with you. You're this, you're that. Whatever their perspective is they bring to me. But the other piece that I think has been inspiring more than I understand is I come from a family of very modest means and education was important and encouraged, but it wasn't the the end goal. You know, I come from blue collar work in Buffalo, New York. So what happened was I, I, I moved here to Rochester and I became determined while I had my family childcare in my home, as I mentioned to you, I decided that I was going to go back to school to get a real job. This is where I, my journey began, right? Before this inspiration of, wait a minute, I'm really good at this. I love watching children develop and I can, I can do something to assist in that journey, right? And so I started school and I, after my business degree, which was done in 1985, I started school in um, 1996 at Monroe Community College, and that changed my life. I had learned so much through that experience. I, I, I walk, walking into MCC to sign up, I had my two little children, and I cried 
because I didn't think I was smart enough because I had, I was the one that had the high school counselor say, you're not college material. I zero confidence. And I had these two little babies and I walked in back then you had to register in person. Remember that? Right. And it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. So I had someone believe in me and say, you not, you need to go to MCC. And so I did. And from that time, 1996, until just last year, I have been in school almost consistently over 20 years of going to school. I started with my liberal arts associates, went to uh, my um, Empire State College because I I couldn't go full time. Right. I was working two full time jobs. Um, I went to school at Empire State College to learn early childhood. Then I went to Nazareth College to get my birth through two certification in New York State. That's your um, baseline is to get your master's to be a teacher. And from there, I, I, I finished my doctorate just recently. And it was very, very hard for me to do, especially this doctorate. I had a lot of personal things going on at the time. And it, it was kind of like I had reached a point where I wanted to learn this so bad. I still had to manage my life. I just got a new executive job right in the middle of this. And it, it was my kids were in college. It was just one of those crazy times. And I took me an extra semester and I, I just sat down and I just did it. I just decided. And it was just hard. I'm very proud of that accomplishment. It's so not about the degree for me. And I don't want to mis- minimize the degree. It's not. It's about that personal perseverance. The tenacity. It was. It was just, you know, what's interesting, too, is every step of the way I was engaged in that practice and theory. So as I'm learning to be a new executive director, I was learning business and leadership concepts while I was trying to learn how to be a researcher. Right. (laughs) You know, so I was learning leadership styles. I was learning um, cost accounting. I was learning all the different things, uh, how to to work with a board of directors, nonprofit stuff. I, I had to learn so many things while I was doing it. And it got to the point where that was very, very challenging, but, but I did it. And I bet you were asking a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My professors are just nodding right now. I can feel them. There's, there's no way. I was asking all kinds of questions and making connections. I had to analyze my organization. I chose my organization to analyze. And I learned that not only what the actual culture was, the uh, organizational design was, and I knew then that I could influence change. So we come from a symbolic background. We have these the traditions of you know, Rochester is where United Way started, right? We're a very activist kind of people. So we wanted to build a culture that would reflect the women who started it, the historical aspect of it. And we've successfully done that over over four years. Congratulations. You've done an amazing job. Um, Now, what would you tell, you spoke about climate or culture, and what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about working in a climate or culture that, that may be either dysfunctional or not what they envisioned? Well, the first thing I would say is be patient. (laughs) And I think the second thing I would say is that you have to, you have to, backward planning, backward design, it's a teaching concept, but it's one that I believe in wholeheartedly. You have to, to get, you have to first imagine what you want this to be. And the the second step, just what, what would you like? Then bring everybody in and say, okay, what, what work environment? You bring the people in, whoever the people are, you bring the people in the room and say, okay, what would you, what work environment would work for you? And when you do that, they give you very good information. So you brainstorm something up and then you bring it to the how, what, what's the next step is how, but change of an organization. Ours is a 
approximately, well, we're almost a $5 million organization. And we have, we will have 103 people now. We've grown from 50 over the, you know, past many years. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in six months. It takes three to five years to make change of this magnitude. But you set your mind to it. You engage everyone, the whole, you listen to their voices, and then you start making small steps to go in that direction. That's what I would recommend. But I think that I've learned and I truly believe relationships are the key. You have to have trusting relationships in order to make a culture of trust and a culture that feels safe to people. And there's an enabling, you know, there's a fine line between a trusting relationship and an enabling relationship. The organization has to stay front and center, whatever you do, whatever your business is, your clients, your mission. So we have to make sure that our employees meet the business goals. Do you know what I mean? The Mm -hmm. accountability goals, whatever they are, and the strategic goals. However, it's listening to people, asking them what they really believe, following through, do what you say you're going to do. You know, if you say you're going to do something, just do it and try to keep track of those things. Apologize when you don't, because there are times where you can't. There's no perfect situation. There's no perfect leader. I promised or I hoped that we could do X, Y, and Z. Because of this, I can't. I take full responsibility. So do you know, it's kind of this process where you have to build these relationships with every person, everyone, you know, know people's names, it's just as much as you would run a classroom as how you'd run an organization is how I see it. You know, Lynn, as I hear you speaking, um, you, you speak a lot about social emotional development. I see it as extremely important and crucial f- for leadership, especially for leadership. Yes. Because if you don't take care of that or if you don't work on that, you can hurt a lot of people. Yes, it's, it's absolutely true. One of the problems that we we're encountering is that oftentimes there's very little time for, for that type of development. So right. you, someone who has, has had very little time, you've taken advantage of every moment that you have. And I've seen that you have invested in your development. So can you speak a little bit about that and how important that is for leadership? Sure. So I speak of social emotional development because I work with young children. I have for so many years. It's just the way it is. But if you take that that idea of relationship, building relationship, and you put it into a business setting, I don't know what kind of business setting, manufacturing setting, the way that you build your client base for your manufactured goods, right, whatever the goods are, is to build relationships that are based on trust, that are based on quality that are based on delivery, that are based on transparency. I mean, it's all about the relationships. So for me, I use educational language, but I transfer it back and forth between leadership, no matter where you are. The other piece to this, I think, Lily, is that the sphere of leadership, you know, we're talking about an executive leader who's somebody who's running a a larger organization or medium organization. There are leaders in our classrooms. There are leaders in our front office. There are leaders in our family child care, in our development area. We have leaders. You lead from the sphere you're sitting in, whether you're you're a one-to-one aide, whether you're a substitute, whether you're on the plant, um, on a manufacturing line, if you're doing a job and that job is to put a cog in place for a machine that's going to be built or um, an airbag that is going to be installed into a car. How about that, right? Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility to do your job, do it well, do it with quality and build a relationship with the people around you and the clients so that they can trust in your product. To me, it's the same idea, just as transferable. Um, And how do you do that? It's basically being kind, being courteous, being honest, doing what you're going to say, model the way, and also be respectful, listen more, talk less, you know, listen to people's problems 
problems. I also encourage people to take responsibility by saying, okay, if, if you have a complaint or a concern, I absolutely will receive that complaint or concern. But I also expect that you'll be open enough to it to offer solutions, be part of the solution, or you might even have to do something. Mm -hmm. So might I, but that's the kind of idea. And we've really been successful at our organization with that approach. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're looking at the culture. We're getting that change we want. People are more enthusiastic. The morale is up. All those different things come as a result of that, just that simple relationship. And that is uncommon, Lynn. <laughs> okay, so, you know, people describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Sure. So I just finished my doctorate. Like I had said, I thought I would never want to learn again. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't work that way. Well, the first thing I'm doing is taking Italian because I have to fill my time somehow, right? I want to visit my roots. I'm going to Italy next year. So I'm studying Italian. So I, I do that kind of stuff because it interests me. But the other piece is that as a human being, I feel that and I accept, I truly accept the fact that I am a constantly evolving and growing human being. I'm growing in my physical physical self. So I work out, right? I'm growing in my emotional self. So I try to, like I was telling you, um, work on my intensity, like spilling over. And I also try to learn how I can best deal with people. All my life, I've run into different situations that I've been able to navigate. And there are still ways for me to navigate that. So what I do is I invite people in. If I need help, I'm never afraid to ask for it. And I, I try to share my talents back. When people call upon me, I try to share them back. So it's it doesn't feel like it's an option to be a lifelong learner to me. There's always things I have to learn because there's always new situations and new people coming through. Uh, formally learning, I, I do enjoy to be challenged. So for an example at work, I was really in need of some kind of a, an approach to work on processes and I did not have one. So I went to our local Hillside of Agencies, trained me on how to be a green belt, Lean Six Sigma person. So I learned and brought it back to our organization. It's designed for non nonprofit organizations. It's from industry. It infuses it with change management. And so I learned how to be a facilitator of that change. I have a mentor. Again, I didn't do it by myself. She comes and helps me and then manages our results. We ended up really saving uh, $9,000 in money and $13,000 in efficiencies or time based on that. But I had, I found a need. I found that gap. And I'm like, how do I do this? I've tried everything I know. So then I went and got help. So that's the opportunities for lifelong learning is mm -hmm. to say, hmm, I, I really don't know what to do right now, but I'm going to find out. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's others. In this case, it was me. Mm -hmm. And it does take humility to say, I don't know what to do right now. Sure. Right? <laughs> I sit in humility all the time. <laughs> like, oh, there we go. I have no idea. Coming out of it, right? Remember I said that the, the teaching pyramid uh, implementation we're doing for the social emotional support is very similar to Lean Six Sigma approaches, which is very similar to the research that I learned in my doctorate. So there's kind of concepts that I'm discovering crossover. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're similar. And so what's happening is that I can look now at different areas of the organization and know which approach to take. When I first mentioned to our team that we were doing Lean Six Sigma from industry, I, their jaws hit the floor and they thought, you're out of your mind. And right. by the time we were finished with this process, they were asking, can we do a project in this area? And, and it was just a powerful thing. Was it perfect? It wasn't. I got help. And we, we kind of learned together. And I went to the people to say, what do you think of this? What's the solution? As always, I always find this, Lily, the solution to a problem we couldn't figure figure out was in the room. It had very little to do with me. It had to do with the people who do the work, right? You know, as educators, we've been indoctrinated or taught that, you know, everyone is an empty vessel and we're the wise sages.
witches who bring all this information. <laughs> yeah. How many people have you fixed? Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> it, you know, that is a change in, in perspective. It's it's just, a, it's not a change. It's more of an um, adjustment. It's a reflective practice realization. There's much more power in someone else working to change themselves than it is. Our job is to set up the experience and to provide that, get rid of all the obstacles and provide that support, whatever it is. It could be money, could be time. And I think I've grown into that actually. Tell us what you've read that our listeners should read and why. Um, You know, I think there's a few different things that I really have taken the time with. And one is the leadership challenge, like I had said to you. Um, the other one is or organizational change. I've read a lot about organizational change. I like the book recently that I've spent some time with is the Enneagram. And this Enneagram assessment, I've taken all the assessments, emotional mm-hmm. intelligence, the DISC, I've taken them all. This Enneagram really captured my evolution from the time I was 20 till my current age, which is a few years. Um, like me. <laughs> and I happen to have the great opportunity to walk with my coach on this particular journey. This one struck me hard because I could not only see how others perceive me or could have perceived me, remember that intensity, but I was able to see my evolution over the many years. Like I said, I'm much less intense than I used to be. So when people are still fainting, I'm like, look, you should have seen me 20 years ago. It doesn't help. But anyways, um, I've kind of learned to appreciate one of the things I think we don't do as educators and sometimes as leaders is we're on to the next thing, right? Where we've, we accomplished something, at least my personal personality. I'm on to the next thing. It's like, okay, that's done. We have to stop and celebrate and say, I did this for myself. I have learned about others, whatever. And this really forced me to give myself a little bit of a break, celebrate the growth I've made and know how to build on where I am and go further to this level of consciousness. It was kind of interesting just to see the dynamics. It's just like all the other tools. It helps us understand how others may perceive us and what we can do to lessen that. And, And it is our responsibility. You know, it's really when you're in leadership position or any position, again, I would say a human position, it's really not somebody else's job to deal with you, right? Right. It's your job to try to meet each person. Communication is a two-way street. I think people need to understand in my organization what I need in order to receive their communication, but it's also my job to understand what they need to receive their communication. And that communication is critical to those relationships we talked about that build this beautiful connection that will help everyone operate their best. The other thing I think Lily, I didn't get into publishing, but we have a a rule at RCN that says everybody shows up trying the best they absolutely have. So if it's the best, it doesn't match what I think the best is, then there's another conversation. But I assume that people walk in trying to do their best. And I think we have an organization that, that embodies that. So with all the responsibilities that you have, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? It's critical more than ever to take care of my body and to make sure that I'm taking care of my physical body, my spiritual self and my my emotional self. So oftentimes I try to get up and ease into my day because I'm somebody who wants to get out of bed and jump into whatever I'm doing. And that served me for a long time and it doesn't anymore. So um, I try to make sure that I'm working out regularly. I try to make sure that I'm eating as healthy as possible outside of my favorite thing, which is chicken wings. And um, <laughs> and also to to set myself. So when I first get up, I just take a minute to, to breathe and to think about what my day is going to be. I reflect I, I try not to look at my email the night before. I try to go to bed in peace. I've learned that essential oils will improve my sleep, and I can measure that with my Fitbit. <laughs> 
Um, you know, doing little things every day. And I also try to carve out time to do what I love, which is riding my bicycle, spend time with my family. Um, it's just important to really balance. And, you know, it's never going to be perfect because I do like to work. But if I don't take that balance, I'm off and I'm not as effective. And that means that I'm not serving the others the best way I can. And that's incredibly important, especially in an educational leadership. Yeah. We work long hours. Finding that balance is, mm-hmm. is a challenge. It is a challenge. My personality is not geared to settle and sit. And so I watch my birds. <laughs> birds that you have in the home or outside? Uh, outside. I feed oh. my birds and I watch them and I talk about them a lot. <laughs> my oh. daughter's worried. <laughs> I have a book and I mark them all down. It's hysterical. Oh. But I find little ways to surround myself with nature. I go camping, you know, that kind of a thing too. Is there any particular technology that actually helps you manage projects? As far as managing all of my projects, we're just gone into Microsoft Project and we're learning how to use that to manage significant projects that involve other people. And so we're learning that together and and I'm finding that it's starting to take hold. I really love that. Otherwise, you know, I'm a good old fashioned post-it person. Um, My organization is still falling into folders and things like that, whether electronic or not. This Microsoft Project, we wanted to implement it so that we can see projects and keep track of them certainly, but also to celebrate the things we've accomplished. You know, that's, I've learned so much from you. And that's one of the things that is sticking with me to celebrate because yeah. I'm, I'm like you, I move on to the next thing. Okay, we've accomplished this. Check. You know, <laughs> Check. I can operate to that. That doesn't bother me to do that. But we have to be aware of others to say, hey, this was really a great moment. You know, we had a, uh, an example of that this past week. We passed our budget. It's a big one. And it also added uh three positions and expanded some positions in other areas. And the support, we're doing this based on the feedback from our people that we need more support. We need more help. And so there was a cost to that. So there's not these across the board increases, but there's a lot of investment in the support of people. And so that was a decision that our board of directors and I had to make together. Now it's time to bring it to the people and say, okay, so this isn't what we didn't get, but this is what we did get. And this is based on what you've asked us for. So it's kind of that staying there instead of saying, check, gone, done, finished, move on. It's to stay with people for just a half a second and saying, okay, sharing the information. First of all, sometimes, you know, that's because I'm moving fast. I have to slow it down, but also to celebrate and say, well, we, what we have, we don't have this, but we have this. Let's celebrate this and look forward to this next year kind of idea. But we've come to our last question. Okay. okay. So If you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? So, you know, I think one of the things I I have spent time with my younger me and trying to think about where I was, I just have had that opportunity. And I think one of the things I would say is um, I had already experienced so much loss by the time I was 20. Life is so precious, right? So we had significant challenges between my 20s and now that I'm 50. And I think I would say that each moment is very precious. And I always knew that, but it's different than to really spend time in those moments. Our relationships are fragile. Say hello and I love you to the people you care about, right? That every minute. But also the small stuff is really stupid. Don't spend time on silliness. Um, I don't know if that's possible to do when you're young, but you really have to look. There's a big picture out there. Um, The other thing is I had the habit of trying to anticipate at least 20 steps ahead because of survival, right? my experience so that I could survive. I would tell myself, don't, don't worry. You have enough, enough. You can get it back on your feet, slow it down, calm down a little bit. That's what I would say to myself. It'll always be okay. Great words of wisdom, Lynn. 
Um, I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, Lily. Have a fantastic day. All right. You too. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to our website at masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of our exceptional educational leadership coaches that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye. Bye.